That's not good. Have you guys ever wondered why, um, why does God want you to live a certain way? Have you ever wondered why he says, don't do this and you shouldn't do that and you should try and do this more? Not only in the word, but in your spirit. Have you ever wondered why God, why God does that? You know, it, it seems that um, the world doesn't want to come to church. They don't want to come to Jesus because they think it's a religion of rules, regulations. Uh, don't touch, do touch, don't eat, don't eat, do eat, don't eat, drink this, don't drink that. That is not what the kingdom of God is all about. But I don't know how, that, how we, as the church, can, can communicate the freedom that we have in Christ when we don't understand why God wants us to abstain from certain things and he wants us to do more of other things. You know, I, I, sometimes I think, I think that, hmm, I want to say this nice, um, that, that we think that God derives some kind of pleasure out of watching us squirm. That God gets a, he, he, he gets a kick out of watching us have to jump over hurdles. So I think sometimes, even the church, we think that, that God sets his, our life up like a maze just to watch us to see how quick we can get to the cheese. And that is not my heavenly father. That's not your, your heavenly father. I, I think we, we kind of think that, that God delights in setting up an obstacle course. So it's kind of like a wipeout. If you guys remember that show, wipeout, we all get, it was fun to watch people, you know, crash and burn on wipeout, hit that big, the big red ball. God, God didn't set up your life so that he can be entertained. Like, like his wipeout. Or how about this one? American Ninja Warriors. Now, if you're a really tough Christian, God's gonna, he's going to put you through some tests and some trials that are going to be very, very difficult. And, and then maybe the gladiators. You got, anybody remember the gladiators? Well, we think, well, God, God is allowing that person to attack me. God, God is allowing uh, those, those dark spirits to, to get all over me. And, you know, that's what gladiators was all about. These guys would stand in the way. They would fight them from trying to get to the end. And sometimes I think Christians think that God is like that, that he sets up, he sets up angels and demons and roadblocks and, and, and anything to fight you just to see if you can get through. Like it's entertainment for him. And that is, that's not God. That's not God at all. Sometimes we think he's, he's into life and death. The struggle that humanity goes through, kind of like the great Colosseums in Rome, where, where gladiators would train all of their lives. And we think we're training in the kingdom of God so we can go through this final battle to see if we'll, we'll win or we'll lose, will we die. That's not God either. So how is it that, that we are going to be able to present God correctly if we don't understand God correctly? You know, there, there's some of us, uh, some of us that have a, a family history of, oh, let me say it nicely, being portly. Now, that's an understatement. And, um, and, you know, so there's some of it that was in the eating habits that we were raised in, and some of it was genetics. And genetics have a, you know, it's, it's like God, you, you, we think sometimes God put the genetics on us to struggle with sickness, disease, or maybe obesity, just so he can watch us and be entertained like we do with The Biggest Loser. 
the one who overcomes, wins, and gets the prize. That's, that's not God. God's not entertained by you. He, he doesn't want to live his life vicariously through you. So why, why, does, why does God allow us to go through certain things? In James chapter 1, verse 2, are you ready? We're going to get it this morning. And the reason that we're going to get it this morning, I mean, not like you're going to get it like your dad's going to give it to you. No, you're going to get it this morning so that you can communicate it to others. And you're going to get it. There's going to be a picture on the inside of you that's going to change this morning. Your image of God and, and the law and the covenants and the rules and the regulation, that picture is going to change this morning. And when that changes, it's going to be very easy for you to communicate to somebody else what, 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 what this thing is about God. The do's and the don'ts. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, here's another problem. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is going to be a great day. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Now my wife's going to be mad at me for a week. Oh, praise the Lord. See, some of the trials and the tribulations that we, we have, they come upon us because of our weakness and stupidity and stubbornness. Actually, this passage goes on in James chapter 1, verse 13, and it says this, And remember, talking about the trials and tribulations, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God didn't set up the obstacle course. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. Get that, get that picture. Change, change that picture in your head. God didn't set up the obstacle course. As a matter of fact, I'm going to jump ahead in Psalms 91. It says that God will command angels to remove the obstacle course for you so you won't even stub your toe on a stone. As a matter of fact, Jesus came to make, make the pathway level. Jesus came to, to, to take the, the lows and bring them up and the highs and bring them down so that you can walk on this earth with God and have great joy. Deuteronomy chapter 12 says this, 28. This is old covenant, okay? Be, I shouldn't have said that because y'all are thinking it doesn't apply to you, but it does. Be careful to obey all my commands that it will go, why? So it will go well with you and with your children. Now, because you will be doing what is Good and what is pleasing to God. Now, see, I, I, here's what I think we do as religious Christians. We think, okay, when I please God, he makes things good for me. That's, that's not what it says at all. It says when you do the things that God instructs you to do, it's good. And it pleases God. And the result is this. It will go well with you and with your children. It will go well with you and your children. Always remember that God created us to function in certain ways. And he created us uh, to function, let's say, optimal performance. So, so 
I'm, I'm going to tell you just about me. This, this body, everybody's body is different, but this body uh, has more, I don't know why, it has more strength to work out at 3 o'clock or 5.30. Uh, if I try in the morning, it's not as good. If I try in the afternoon, it's not as good. There's a little bit more intensity at 3 I don't know why. That's the rhythm of my body. And, and that is when I have optimal performance at the gym. That is when, you know, I can push a little harder. I can go a little longer. I can, I can get my heart rate up there like I'm going to pass out and see stars just for a minute or two more. And, and it's good for my body. See, there's an optimal performance. You can ask my wife, you can ask Pastor Nija, if I don't sleep six and a half hours, nothing's right. I mean, I, I, I think I lose the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I lose contact with God. I, my head's not renewed. I need six and a half hours of sleep. That's, when I get six and a half to eight hours sleep a night, I can be in my best my optimal performance. See, God created each and every one of us to operate in a certain way. God, God desires for things to go well for you. And listen, this is important because we miss this, Christians. Our faith covers our children and our children. Our faith can't save our children if they're adults, but it can cover them. It can act as an intercessory blanket over them. Here, let me give you an example about optimal performance. Uh, we had a, a wonderful, everybody remember Pastor Josh? Pastor Josh was a wonderful little pastor. We used to tease him all the time about his height. But he had this, uh, he had this thing that if he were out in the corner of the property and, and he needed a pick, you know, like a hi-ho, hi-ho, that kind of a pick, the mining pick, it would be up here at the shed and it's just across the parking lot. But he would work with a hand, I mean, even a little toy hand shovel, for an hour trying to get to do what a pick could do in, in 30 seconds. Instead of dropping that little hand tool and going all the way across the parking lot and picking up the pick. It's, it's kind of like a screwdriver. A screwdriver is created to what? Turn, tighten, or loosen screws. I've seen, see, I'm, I'm thinking about Pastor Josh right now. <laughs> he would use a screwdriver for the back. He'd use it as a hammer. He'd flip it over, and, and he'd try and pound a nail with a heavy screwdriver instead of putting that screwdriver down and going all the way back up to the shed and coming. He could have done it in half the time if he just would have got the right tool. Because a screwdriver isn't meant to be a hammer. And what happens if you use a good wooden uh, screwdriver as a hammer? You're eventually going to lose the handle, aren't you? It's not good. What happens if you try to use uh, a, straight, a straight screwdriver uh, on a Phillips head and you do it over and over again? You're not only going to strip the screwdriver, you're going to strip the screw. That's not good. You know, some people take a screwdriver and instead of going to the, to the tool shed or open up the box, they try to use a screwdriver for a pry bar. And what happens when you use a screwdriver as a pry bar? It gets bent and it's no, to scrape paint. What happens when you try to use a screwdriver as, as something to scrape paint? I'm going to scrape paint with a screwdriver because I just don't want to go use the right tool. What happens? You're going to get gouges in your wood. Let me read this again to you. Be careful to obey all my commands. 
so it will go well with you and your children because what you will be doing is good and it pleases me. When you use a Phillips screwdriver to remove a Phillips screw or to put a Phillips screw in, you are using it as it was created or designed and engineered and manufactured to be used, and that's good. And if you try to use it any other way for another tool, it's most likely going to destroy the tool and the thing that you're trying to work on. Are you, are you hearing me? Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I, this is deep in me. Uh, Kay, Kay and her, they, they, they knew my dad. My dad was, um, <laughs> what was he? What was he? Strict. He was strict. Yes, that was true. Um, if we used his tools, I had to wipe them down and I had to put them exactly back where they went. And if they did, I'm telling you, I know how he knew. Like if one socket was turned a quarter bit the ways and the, the, it didn't say one quarter right in the front, man, he would know that I did it. And if we used a pair of pliers on a bolt or a nut, I, I got to tell you, that's, that, that's why I have no butt. I don't have, because he beat that thing up. Because you don't use a pair of pliers on it because you're going to strip it and it's going to be no good. And, and as much as I don't want to be that way, we tend to be what we, what we were raised with and what we see other than what we believe. But there is a truth in that. You use the right tool and it's good and that tool will last you a lifetime. You use it in a different way, you're going to have bad tools. You're going to have, when you need that Phillips screwdriver and it's all stripped out and you need that screw, you, you have no choice. You have to go buy a new one. See, when you obey God's commands, it will go well with you. Always remember that God created us to function in certain ways. God created us to be used by him in certain ways. Deuteronomy says that when we follow God, that it's good and it's pleasing. The same is true for you and me. We were created in the image of God. We were created, we were recreated to be sons and daughters of God. You know what? It, it, we were created to bring him glory. We were created to be used by him. We were created to be free. But when, when we step out and we use this body in a way it shouldn't be used, what do we call it in the church? Come on, somebody. It starts with an S and, and it rhymes with N. When we use our body in a way that it's not designed to be used, what do we call it? Sin. Well, see, that's not good. Now, here, here's the picture that's got to change. You think it has to do with what God wants. He wants to see if you'll perform. He wants to see if you're a contestant. He wants to see if you're going to make it to the final round. That's not it at all. He knows what's good. He knows that if you do the things that he instructs, it will connect you to his blessing. It will connect you to heaven. It will connect you to his power. And when you don't, what happens? You, you get disconnected in a way. You get shorted out. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, uh, sin entered the world through Adam's sin, and it brought Death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone ha has sinned. Yes, people sinned even before 
the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there wasn't a law to break. What is he saying? Even before there was an understanding of what God said was good and what wasn't, sin still was there. So it wasn't the law. Sin brought what? Death. And death reigned over mankind. From the time of Adam's fall until the time that the law was written. And I want you to get this in your head. It's not that the bad things weren't happening because the law wasn't written. The bad things were happening. The law just identified what was happening and why. Now, everybody say the law. Oh, God, help me. I'm going to hit some, I'm going to tip over some religious cows. Praise the Lord. If you fall over, don't say oomph, okay? Um, there's a, a thought in the church that the law is bad. Once people start to understand the Lord Jesus Christ and the freedom that's in him, they think that the law is bad when, in fact, the Scripture says that the law is good. But God created the law for a purpose, we, we, we try to use the law for something other than what it was designed to be used because God knew we couldn't fulfill the law. He knew Jesus would do that for us, and I'll help you on that. But he created the law to identify sin. So, so, so let's say that you come to me and you borrow uh, $5,000. And I say, okay, I'll only need $5,000, 10%. No, let me do 25. I need 25% interest for the next three months. Well, then you know exactly, you can add it up, you can know exactly what you owe, and then the debt is paid, right? But what if I said, yeah, I'll loan you this money, this $5,000, and then you just pay me back and I'll tell you when you're done? It would never be satisfied. You could give me $5,000, $6,000, $7,000, $8,000, $10,000, and I'm still not satisfied because you don't know what the level of satisfaction is. The law was created so it could give the level of satisfaction. The penalty of sin is, ha-ha, there you go. Now, the law also did something else. It leads us to Christ because we find out that we can't do everything that's in the law because there's a weakness in our flesh. The law... The law was set up as an accounting system to, to collect all the sin of the world so that it could be paid for. What was the price? The death of the one who wrote the law. That's why it's called a new will and testament. It's a new covenant. The one who wrote it had to die so that we could get the benefits. See, it's just backwards. You think you got to die to get the benefits. No, sweetheart. It's this side of heaven. He died so you can get the benefits, so you can get connected to heaven. The law was put in place to collect all the sin of the world so he could lay it into the flesh of Jesus and separate it through death from you and to me. And Jesus carried it and put it in the sea of forgetfulness, and he chooses to remember it no longer. Why is that important? The law isn't about do's and don'ts. You're trying to use the screwdriver as a pry bar. The law was never set up to make you righteous. The purpose of the law was never to make you righteous. Because Abraham was righteous even before the law because he believed God would do what he said he would do and God credited or gave it to him. He imputed righteousness to him. 
before the law was even written. So see, righteousness comes by faith, not by following the law. But there was a purpose in the law. It was to connect what? To connect all of our sin to, to one, one accounting system so God could lay it in the flesh of Jesus and put it to death. Pay for it. Can I wake? Please, Jesus, help me. I want to wake you up. I want this picture to change. Most Christians think that Jesus fulfilled the law because he never sinned. I'm going to come over here. Most Christians think that Jesus fulfilled the law because he never sinned. I think I got to do it one more time. Most Christians believe that Jesus fulfilled the law because he never sinned. No, he had to do that so he could be the Passover lamb, so he could be the lamb without spot and blemish, so he could die for you and me, for me. He fulfilled the law by paying the penalty. The law's in place. Don't go 65 miles an hour in this 35-mile zone or it costs you $105. When you pay the $105 to the courthouse, the law has been fulfilled. Are you getting it? And then he throws away the record. See, we just need to, if we just shift, we've been trying to use the law to make us good with God, and the law wasn't designed for that. We could behave in certain ways to be good with God, although we are. The law was put in place to lead us to Jesus. The law was put in place so that Jesus could, could all the law could be, all the, the penalties of the law could be, could be all surrounded, bundled up and laid into the flesh of Jesus so, so he could pay the penalty. The law was also put in place for this. God had a covenant with the nation of Israel. God had a covenant with these people, but yet they kept sinning. They could not touch God consistently. They couldn't connect with God consistently. So God said, here's the problem. You've been using your bodies all wrong. <laughs> You've been using your bodies for this. It wasn't designed for this. Here's, here's how your body was designed to be used. Here's how I created the universe to work. When you do these things, now you, now you're, you understand you're a screwdriver. You're not a hammer. You understand you're a screwdriver. You're not a pry bar. You understand you're a screwdriver, not a paint scraper. Now that you understand what you are, you're supposed to be a child of God. This is the way you identify what a child of God looks like. So the law was also put in place so, so the people in the old covenant could connect with God's goodness. So that the people in the old covenant, when they did certain things, they knew they were living right. They, by faith, could connect to God and pull the blessing out of heaven. Are you hearing me? They, 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 and when they failed, when they sinned, and they did, God said, okay, you know, I know you're going to have a problem with guilt. I know you're going to have a problem with shame. So here, you're going to have to shed some blood of an animal, and then you'll have something to look at to know that the penalty of your sin will be paid later, but this represents what's going to happen. And that way, the, the way to me will be clear for the blessing. Did, did, did I get that? The law in the old covenant was, was a way that people could, could, they found out how to conduct themselves, how to act, how to think, how, what to, the things to say and not to say and the things to do and not to do. Not so it would, it would like please God like we're, you're going through some kind of an obstacle course, but so that we could live a life 
and things will go well with us and our children. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse, verse 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, is going to say the same thing in the New Testament. Are you guys with me? It says, honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. That screwdriver will be up on, uh, hanging on the pegboard uh, in my garage for the rest of my life because I'm using it properly. I'm, I'm using this body properly. God kind of, he showed me what it should. So even if I, if I don't know by the spirit, I could look in the letter of the law and see God's original intent. Oh, this body isn't meant to be shared with every woman. This body is meant to be shared with one that I make a covenant with and God puts his stamp and seal and approval on it. Because if I share it with other women, hmm, that screwdriver is going to get bent. The head, the head on it is going to be stripped. It's not going, I'm not going to be any good anymore. Do you see, it's, it's kind of like an, an instruction manual. You want optimal performance out of this chainsaw? You use this kind of gas and you use this kind of three-in-one oil. And you use this kind of bar chain oil. You want this chainsaw to last? It was designed for these products. You, you want this body to last on this earth? You want things to go well with you on this earth? Then, then you got to use it the way God intended it to be used. He wants things to go well for you and your children. And Jesus, now I'll prove it to you again. Jesus was doing miracles. In John chapter 5, he comes up to the pool of Bethesda. And at the pool of Bethesda, a lot of people who were crippled and lame, they would hang around it because there was this occurrence where they would say an angel would stir the waters. And the first person who was, well, they may, may have had leprosy. If, if he was the first person to get in, the leprosy was gone. If the angel, you never knew when he was going to stir the waters, but when the angel would stir the waters, the first cripple that could roll himself over and into the water would come up healed. Now, Jesus comes up to this guy, and I, there's a lot to learn here. <laughs> Jesus comes up to this guy, and he says, take a drink of water, Kenny. Oh, thank you. Um, he comes up to this guy, and he says, do you want to get well? Now, you and I would think the answer would be yes. But his answer was much uh, like our answers. Do you want things to go well with you? Well, yeah, but you know, I have, my mom did this to me, my dad did that to me, and I got these genetics, and, and you know, but then I got fired, and then, you know, I, I, my wife left me, and, you know, so, so, yeah, I want things to go, but I'm, you know, I'm. He said, he said, do you want to get well? And the guy said, listen, every time the angel stirs the water, I can't make it in because I'm not strong enough. I can't move my legs. I can't move my feet, whatever it was. I can't get in and there's no one. It's everybody else's fault because there's no one else to help me. A Christian, listen to me. See him as the world. See, his, see him as somebody who doesn't understand anything about God. 
That's exactly what they're going to say. It's because of the way I was born. It's because of this stupid body God gave me. And it's everybody else's fault because they won't help me. That's exactly what they think. Jesus didn't try and correct his theology. The creator of the universe was standing in front of him and he didn't say, now listen, if you just believe in me that I'm the Messiah, you can be healed. If you just believe, right, you can get healed. That's not what Jesus said. He said, do you want to, he just went right back to it. Do you want to get well? The guy said, yeah. Jesus said, pick up your mat, roll it up and go home. And he picked up his mat. He rolled up, he rolled it up. He got up, he went home. He was walking. Later that day, this man is in the courts of the temple. Listen to this in verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found this man, this paralytic, found him in the temple and told him, now that you are well, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Something worse than what? Being crippled. Now, before you get off in your mind and think that everything that happens in your life that is bad is because you did something wrong, that's not true. But it is an avenue that it can come. Jesus, Jesus may have been saying to him, listen, uh, you know, you made a dumb mistake when you got in that fight 10 years ago and that's why you're crippled. And, and, and you're, you're making the same mistake right now. Maybe he was having strife with somebody, I don't know. But, but maybe he was saying, you know what, being crippled is bad. But if you keep going in the same direction that you've been going, blaming everybody, being angry, blaming God, you keep going that way, there's something worse than being paralyzed, and it's hell. You need to stop sinning. What was he doing? He was using his body, maybe it was just his tongue, in a way that God didn't design him to be used. And Jesus said, you're heading down the wrong way. You're using it wrong. Just use it right so this thing won't happen. I can see ahead. You're heading. There's a cliff over there. There's a lion and a bear over there. there, there there's thieves along this road that you're walking and they're going to get you. You need, you need to change do, 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 do what God created you to do. Jesus wanted things to go well for him and for his children. And in Ephesians, we see that the principle carries over from the Old Testament that when you do the things that God asks you to do, he's not doing it for his pleasure. He's doing it so things will go well with you and with your children. Oh, praise God. I hope we're getting through today. You see, people tend to assume certain things. They, th they think that people's suffering is proportional to their disobedience. In other words, they think that, that people suffer because of what they did, and that's not true. They also think that people in the church tend to think that tragedy is a sign of judgment. Well, that brother's going through this because, you know, there must be hidden sin in his life. Well, that's not necessarily true, and not most likely it's not true. Uh, people in the church tend to think that bad things only happen to bad people. People think that we have the right to make judgments like this. That happened to that person because that person had a hidden sin. They, to they told me about it years ago and I'll bet they haven't repented and that's why it happened to them. Br brother and sister, fa <laughs> cathedral family, you don't know what happened unless God tells you, and God very seldomly will. 
Don't bring that judgment upon yourself. You, you don't know. But you're also thinking it's a result of sin. Sin is one doorway, but there's like a million other doorways. Satan, listen, Satan could attack a righteous man just because Jesus said, oh, the thief, the Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not going to change his purpose. He's always going to try to kill you. He's going to try to steal from you, and he's going to try and destroy your life. But see, Jesus wants things to go well with you and for your children. We all face the same uh, sicknesses. We all face the same calamities. We all, we all face the same derecho. We all, whether we're evil or whether we're good, whether we're righteous or we're not righteous, we all face COVID. We all went through it. Jesus tried to teach his disciple this, this thing. Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee. Now, while they were offering sacrifices at the temple. That's bad. That's bad. These guys were trying to worship their God, and, and, and this, this guy, Pilate, killed them while they were at the, at the temple? And Jesus said, do you think that those guys that got killed, those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee and that's why they got killed? He said, is that, is that why they suffered? He says, not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you're tempted to judge somebody, say that happened to them because of this sin, they're being judged by God, you need to reverse that thing real quick, brother. You need to turn around and look inside yourself. Because that wasn't, they weren't, that wasn't even sin for these people, these Galileans. That's not what it was. It was persecution. Because Jesus said, not, a, not at all. So you better turn around because, you know, that end could face you too. That kind of end could be yours. Have you ever heard the saying, but by the grace of God, there go I? What he's saying is, if it weren't for God's grace, I might be in that same position. I need to clean myself up. I need to take the plank out of my eye before I try and remove the speck from my brothers. I need to watch what I say about my brother and sister in Christ because I don't know. I'm just a man. Jesus said, and what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? Jesus said, no. I tell you again that unless you repent, you'll perish too. Turn it around. You think that that, that thing fell on them because they were bad people, they were evil people? No. They missed God. They weren't listening to the Holy Spirit. No, when you see that and you're tempted to judge, turn that judgment back on yourself and clean up the dark corners of your heart because those dark corners of your heart are dangerous places. You're not operating as God created you to operate. You're picking up something different. You're acting differently than he created you to act. But if you would just act the way and if you would just think the way and if you would just talk the way that I created you, you to be, then things would go well with you. It'd be so much easier for me to protect you. It'd be so much easier for me, me to protect you. It'd be so much easier for me to heal you. It'd be so much easier for me to intervene in your life. Because I want things to go well for you. 
and for your children. Romans chapter 2 says, Woo, God, God does not show favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. We go a million different directions there. God doesn't show favoritism. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, but I say to you, those, those people that are mean to you, those people that are always coming against you, love them. Pray for those that persecute you instead of saying, hey, they're persecuting me. They need to be stopped. They're a bully. Take them off Facebook. Take them off Twitter. They're... In that way, you'll be acting as a true child of your Father in heaven. A true child of God doesn't complain when they're persecuted. A true child of God doesn't, uh, doesn't complain when people and tell everybody when somebody's coming against you. A true child of God, I don't know how, but he loves on them and he prays for him. Jesus said, take your eyes off of them and what they're doing. And again, put it back on yourself. Dig down on the inside and draw out the love of God and begin to, to speak that and pray that over your enemy. And Jesus said it this way. For he, God, gives sunlight both to the evil and to the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Same rain. Same derecho. Same virus. Same stupid flipping inflation. We're all going through the same stuff the world is too. But there is a difference in us. There should be a difference in us and what the world is going through. There should be a difference in the, the cause and the effect when the rains come. There should be a difference when, when judgment comes upon the earth. There should be a difference when sickness and disease starts affecting the land, when famine is in the land. We should look back to ourselves so we can make changes in our life because it's good and it pleases God. So things will go well with us and our children. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We were created for, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. He has recreated us. Not to do bad things. We weren't recreated to sin. We were recreated to do good. For we are God's master priests. He has created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things that he planned for us to do long ago. Cathedral family, that's why, that's why Pastor Nija and I are here. That's why Pastor Lucas is here. That's why our staff is here so that we can help you find out what those good things are. Why? Because God created you not to do what I do, but to do what you're supposed to do. You have gifts. You have talents. You have an anointing that you probably haven't even touched yet. And we're to help you discover that. Why? So it will go well with you and your children. We were recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works that he, he, he planned long ago. So what's Jesus teaching? See, he taught the same rain, the same sunshine, the same storms, the same plagues, the same droughts, the same events would happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. But a life of repentance and a life of faith, 
a life of changing ourselves according to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and what we're hearing from the church, a life of doing those things, acting, being a Christian that walks in faith and repentance. Our life should go well. And it should go well with our children. I didn't say bad things aren't going to happen. But you're going to go. See, there's a difference between getting hit and going down and staying down and getting hit and getting up and winning the race. There's a difference between getting hit and, and, and then, you know, you just, you just give up and, and the life drains out of your body and they bury you. There's a difference. And, and you fight all the way through this thing and you're believing God and you're not giving up hope and you come through the thing victorious so that you can go to heaven without having being taken out by sickness and disease. God wants things to go well with you. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 7. Are you listening? He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Why? Because they're doing something good. They're, they're, doing, they're, they're, they're using their, their body as God, as God created to be used. It's like a person who, the person who hears it and follows it, it's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is like the foolish, 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 like a person who builds their house on a sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. They hear the same word. They experience the same storm. And one stands. I'm not saying it didn't get weathered. I'm not saying he didn't have to rehang the gutters. It doesn't say he came through it completely unscathed, but it said his house stood. Guys, we got to quit thinking so black and white all the time. You make it through. Bad things are going to happen, but you will be sustained. God knows there'll be storms in your life. He knows there'll be spiritual attacks. He knows that men will come after you. Why? Does that even matter? A long time ago, God taught me when I was trying to understand somebody who was dealing with craziness. Stop trying to understand insanity because if you do, you'll become insane. So I don't ask why very often anymore. When I ask why do these things happen, I'm saying, I'm saying, I believe that my suffering is proportional to my sin. I believe that, that, that this is a sign, this suffering is a sign of God's judgment upon me. I believe that I'm, in the, I'm the one that's in control of my life, so I must have done something to deserve this. Maybe, but I doubt it, because Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy Satan hates all of humanity. God loves all of humanity. 
So he's made a way, like he did with the old covenant. He made a way so that the children of Israel could connect to his goodness and to his promise and to his blessing. And for us, he made a way that we could connect to his goodness, his protection, his blessing. What is that? We just do what he tells us to do. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus, not listeners. He's leading us somewhere. How does he speak to us? Remember last week? He speaks to us through the word. He speaks to us by the spirit. And he speaks to us through the church. He speaks to us three ways. He's a triune being. He does that so you can know clearly. These are the direction that I'm supposed to go. These are the things that I'm supposed to change in my life. If you hear something and you see it in the your scriptures during the week. And you hear it from the pulpit. And it's been talking to you in the Holy Spirit. You better change. Why? So things will go well with you and your children. You're heading down a path, and there's a hole in the middle of that road. You don't see it, but he does. And if you fail, if you don't heed his warnings, if you, don't beat yourself up. You've already been through enough. He was trying to get you to avoid the thing. You went through it. You got hurt. You got bruised. There's an effect in your life. Acknowledge your mistake. Be honest about where you missed it. That's the best thing you could do. Pick yourself off the ground. Dust yourself off. Remember the fall. Embrace the failure. And learn from it. Get up and go again. But you know what? This time, you're going to be a little wiser. This time, you're going to be a little more savvy. This time, you're going to be a little more shrewd. Listen to me. This time, you're going to be a little bit quicker to listen to the Holy Ghost and respond. Because you don't need to know why. You just need to know it's him. Can I say that again? You don't need to know why. You just need to know it's him. God, that's a good word. That's a good word. There will be storms. There will be attacks. There will be challenges. There will be testing of your resolve. There will be testing of your faith. It'll be stretched. When you come through to the other side, you will be better off. You will be equipped. You will be wiser, dear brothers and sisters, James chapter 1. When troubles come your way, consider it pure, an opportunity for great joy. Woo-hoo. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, so let it grow. So when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Because you can stand. You just do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, and you just keep standing. And you keep taking steps until he tells you to stop. And if he finds you missed it, well, then pick yourself up. Maybe go right back to the last place you knew he was talking clearly to you and you were being obedient and start again. You're wiser this time. You've got a little more savvy. You've got a little more experience. And this time you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. You're going to listen to the church. You're going to listen to your friends and your family that are in Christ. You're going to listen to the word of God. You can have great joy because you know you'll come through this and it will be better on the other side. Give me some examples, Pastor Kenny. Job. Job lost everything. He didn't do anything wrong. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He was sold into slavery. Moses killed a man. 
David did something. He slept with somebody's wife and had his, her, her husband killed. Peter denied Jesus. But every single, these, single one of these men, after they fell, they got back up and God restored them. But I want you to hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the great men and women of faith, and over half of them didn't receive the blessing. Over half of them didn't receive the promise. You're walking in an old covenant. You're walking in a new. These guys, just like you and me, when they got up, they came out scathed. Job, Joseph, Moses, David, Peter. They came out bruised. They came out with great loss. Yet God called David the man after his own heart. Yet God, 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 used, uh, God used Peter to reach all of the Jewish people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They came out wounded. They came out limping. But they came out better. See, God wants things to go well with you and your children. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are, love God and are called according to his purpose. He is working in the midst of the storm. He's working in the midst of the pandemic. He is working in the midst of the worst inflation that we've experienced in decades. He's working in the midst of this for your good and when you come out on the other side yes you may be bruised yes you may be scarred yes you may be limping yes you may have lost but you will have that restored if you don't give up restoration he says it'll come out better Job's a good example he came out and the Bible says at the end, he had 10 times more of everything, including family that he had before the test and the trial came. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, which we know that's impossible, we can try. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You'll experience these blessings of the Lord. Okay, now listen, he says, did you notice that this promise has a, first one, please. This promise has a contingency. It's if. If you fully obey, if you don't obey, what happens? The penalty of sin is, see, Jesus fulfilled half that if for you. Uh, let me say, let me say, Jesus fulfilled half of that if for you. When he fulfilled the law by, by dying on the cross for you and for me, shedding his blood, he fulfilled the penalty for you so that you could not worry about the penalty. So you could live a life of freedom and strength and joy and you could begin to do the good things. Oh God, that's a good message. And when you do the good things, that if you connect to the kingdom of God, you connect to heaven itself, you connect to eternity, you connect to the blessing, you connect to the favor of God because you're doing the good things that he's putting in your heart. You're following Jesus. See, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, but Christ rescued us from the curse pronounced in the law. See, half of Deuteronomy chapter 28 is really good stuff. 
The other half is really bad stuff. Jesus fulfilled half of the if so you could work on the other. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in Scripture, curses everyone who's hung on a tree. If there's one thing I could get across to you this morning, I pray to God this changes in your mind, in your heart that's branded. We have to quit thinking in such absolutes. Things are going good in my life because I'm living right. Things are going bad in my life because I'm living wrong. I must be doing something wrong or else this deal would have gone through. I must have sinned somewhere or or else my, my family wouldn't be acting this way. See through the thing. See through the storm. See through the peace and the tranquility on the other side. See through to the reward. See through the tougher you. See through to, to the more savvy you. See you. See through and, and see you who, who you're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So what's our litmus test? How do we know we're doing it right? Because you're talking about a lot of intangible things. You're, you are talking about the word. But you're talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. You're talking about the now word that's coming from the church. I'm supposed to listen to these things and, and then do what I'm hearing. But how do I know? Come on, God's got to tell me how, how do I know if I'm doing it in a way that's, how, am I doing what's pleasing to him? Let's go to John chapter 15, verse 9. This is the key. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Jesus says, remain in my love. Everybody say, remain. Remain. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Everybody say, remain. Remain. He's saying the same thing. It was in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you obey my commands, then you remain in my love. If I'm going to operate, my optimal performance as a son of God is when I'm remaining in God's love and there's no fear in that love. So all I have to do is do. I don't have to worry about the don'ts. What is the do? Jesus says, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obeyed my father's command and I, commands and I remain in his love. Now, I've told you these things. So that you won't be saying, oh, shoot. Oh, what is it? I told you these things so you could know for sure. So you could be filled with his joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Are you ready? It comes down to one. Love each other in the same way I loved you. How do I know if I'm doing what what God wants me to do? Well, you're walking in love. Are you all irritable because you're out of his, out of his will, out of his, out of his love? Am I walking in love? Am I loving like Jesus loved his disciples and he loved me even before I, I did anything right, even before I repented, even before I started acting right or saying right, even before I said I was sorry? He died for me. He gave himself up for me. See, Jesus fulfilled the penalty of the law so we could do good things, the good things that he's asking us to do. 
What did Jesus ask us to do? To love each other. Guys, that's why Christianity is that simple. Love, lead, teach. Love God. Love others. Lead them to Jesus and teach them how to follow him. Not how to follow me, not how to follow the cathedral, not how to follow a doctrine, not how to follow a denomination, but to follow him. If we connect people to him and his love, they'll be okay. It's that simple. Love, lead, teach. Galatians chapter 5 says, The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring each other, if you're not acting like a child of God, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, when you act like God created you to act, guess what? It's good. Things will go well with you and your children. But when you hold on to bitterness and when you're seeking revenge, when you won't let that thing go, watch out. You're trying to use your screwdriver as a pry bar. So love each other because if you you don't, you'll continue to tear down and destroy each other. God wants us to love each other. Why? So it will go well with you and your children. Gosh. Jesus said, if you love, you remain in his love, right? Let's go to Psalms 91, last scripture. I'm sorry this is going long. Psalms 91, verse 1. The Word of God says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Those who make God their dwelling. The, 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 those who, who, who take shelter in Him. Those who live in His love. How do we know if we're living in His love? We love each other. And y'all, the people that are hardest to love are the ones that are closest to you. Because you have more expectations of them than you do of anybody else. And with those that are really close to you, we tend to judge them by what they do, but we judge ourselves by our motives. Not fair. We love one another. And if we remain in his love, verse 3, he'll rescue us from diseases. Verse 4, he will become our shelter. Verse 5, no fear. Uh, we won't fear the arrow of night or the day. You know what that means? The attack that you can see and the attack that you can't. No fear of that. In verse 6, if you remain in his love, no viruses and plagues, the hidden works or even ones that are identified are going to affect you. Verse 7, it will be, it will be close all around you, but because you're remaining in his love, it won't penetrate. Please hear me. Please hear me. I didn't say you won't get bruised. I didn't say you didn't get the fever. I was doing my best to live for the Lord. I know I missed it, but, but man, I got COVID bad. Oh, pastor, you got COVID bad because you were a sinner. Uh-huh, I am a sinner. I try not to, and I repent an awful lot. That's not why I got COVID. Satan comes to kill, steal, 
and destroy. He tried to take me and a couple other billion people out. A lot of us won. Verse 14, the Lord said, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust me. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and I will honor them. I will reward them, who? Those that live in his love. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. See, God communicates to us how we should conduct our lives so that it will go well with you and with our children. So it will go well with us and our children. But you know, I got some spishues. If, if, if there, there's some folks here, I just have to, you know, they, know, they knew my mom and dad well. If you knew my mom and dad, you, you'd understand, you'd think I was a walking miracle. I am. They put a lot of good in me though. And the truth is, we all come from dysfunctional families. We all could use a little psychotherapy. We all could use a little counseling. How can I love somebody when I've been taught to put up a wall? How can I love somebody when I feel like I have to protect myself? How can I love somebody when I can't get it out of my mind and keep doing the same thing? Romans chapter 5 says that, that... for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You ready for another aha? He didn't put his love in you for you. We're so self-centered. We are. We tend to look at the world from the outside in instead of the inside out. He put his love in you so you could love others because we don't have that ability on our own. I, I don't, man. Wash my hands, walk away, done with that. I ain't gonna talk, I'm not going to answer that person's text or phone call. I'm not going to do that. In fact, I won't talk about them. But God's love is in me so I can pull it out and give it to somebody else. Romans chapter 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in the heart that you're made right with God, and it's by that open confession, it's by openly declaring him and your faith that you're saved. For scripture tells us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. And see, it didn't say that you won't fall. It didn't say that you won't get bruised. It wouldn't say, it doesn't say that you won't suffer damage, but you're not gonna be disgraced. Come on, get back up. Let them see God in you. Because when the unrighteous fall, they don't get up. When the righteous fall, they get up seven times. They get up and do it again. They get up and do it again. They get up and do it again. And it seems like everything that they touch, God is in. How is that? I don't know. Same storm. Same virus, same economy. What is it about that guy? It's God. It's God. God's intention and his desire for each and every one of you is that things go well for you and for your children. God, that's a good message. Would you put your hand on your heart? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the cathedral family worldwide.
God, touch each and every one as if they were here. Fill them with your precious Holy Spirit to the point that, that it does something to their body, that it does something to their mind, that they experience heaven right here on earth. Jesus, we love you. Show us, help us, teach us how to love. If you're in this place this morning, your head's about right now. If you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, that's how you get the love of God. That's how, that's how these things become possible in your life. I didn't say they become automatic. They become possible. If you need to do that, would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. Yes, yes. I'm waiting. Good. Now, if you raise your hand and pray this prayer with me, would you? Dear Heavenly Father, come on, pray it with them. I do believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe you raised him to life. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. And I will follow you, Jesus, the rest of my days. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen.